What's going on? And welcome into a Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson. Recapping a big win for the Pelicans last night over the Orlando Magic, 135 to 100. As they welcome in the San Antonio Spurs tomorrow in a huge matchup inside the Smoothie King Center. Uh, joining us to talk about last night's game and what's to come is Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com and Andrew Lopez of ESPN.com. Andrew is back with us after a scheduled appearance last week and fell just a little bit short. But Andrew, we're glad to have you back on. How are you? I, uh, I, I too, uh, am glad to be here and not dealing with what I had to deal with last week. So the fact that I am here is is fantastic. And we're certainly <laughs> glad to have you, Andrew. Glad you're not dealing with those things anymore. But uh, let's talk about last night a little bit. And I know um, a lot of people are going to say, oh, the Magic were shorthanded. The Magic are out of the playoff race. But uh, it's been a while, Andrew. I'll start with you and then go to Jim. The Pelicans have had really a full control of a game. It started off a two-point lead after one, but after that, the Pelicans were in cruise control. I think it was kind of nice for everyone to see the Pelicans come out the way they did last night in the win. No, absolutely. I think that was very important for uh, for the Pels to be able to come out and and have a game where they were supposed to dominate. Look, I, I understand that there were a lot of players missing for Orlando. Um Stan Van Gundy alluded to that in his, his press game, his press game, his post-game press conference. Um, but those are the games you're supposed to win by 35. Like, right? Like, like when you, when that happens, when you are the, the superior team in terms of talent, you're supposed to go out there uh, and win games like that. So for those guys to go out and do what they were supposed to, I think was a good sign to get that extra little bit of rest for the starters. I mean, Zion didn't play basically the last what? 17 18 minutes of that game um so for for them to get to do what you were supposed to do i think uh was a was a big sign uh, you know heading into to to you know saturday's game where you you're trying to build off of that momentum as nice as it was for the players i'm sure to be able to sit and relax in the second half and you know get off the court and not have to play huge minutes i think you, the word I might use for everyone else on the outside was therapeutic as far as how that game went. I mean, just to be able to relax in the second half and not sweat it out. I mean, there might not might not have been a game where that was more needed and more wanted than, than that coming off a stretch where you had three games in a row where it was pretty excruciating. I think the word that Stan Van Gundy used was agonizing, which I think was pretty appropriate as well. So it was, you know, regardless of the situation and the Pelicans have had games against teams that have been missing guys that have gone much worse than last night's game. So, I, I mean, I, I think it was great to be able to do what they did. And, but the thing is now is obviously everyone knows that you, you have to build on that and you have to keep going forward because the time is very limited and the, the amount of games that they're going to have to win is pretty high. Jim, I'll start with you on this one. As far as a win last night, do you believe that this could be a win? Do you believe in like as far as momentum factor of a game like this can really help this team down the stretch? Like they just needed one of these games, you know, to really get them going. I know the last four losses have been tough, especially a lot of them coming down to the end. Are you one of those guys that think, well, maybe this this could be a win that can maybe change some things in these final 13? I mean, I think – we've seen before where it, momentum doesn't necessarily carry over to the next game or games. But I do think that one thing that's significant from not just last night, but the, the last two games is that three point shooting has kind of returned. So from a confidence standpoint in that specific area, I do think that that's something that could help. It just seemed like they were in such a rut where no one was 
making threes and no one was making outside shots. And it was almost contagious where it just built on itself where, you know, the problem was getting worse and worse and snowballing. So hopefully that can go in the opposite direction where now some of these guys are getting hot and the confidence across the board will improve. I mean, I mean you would think that what's crazy is they shot so poorly in threes for a stretch of games. And yet if a, the ball bounces a different way, they win a bunch of those games. So, I mean, you, you would think that if the other parts of the game stay the same and you can shoot threes at a decent level, that maybe you will be able to get a bunch of wins and close the regular season strong and, and then have a chance to extend your season. Well, yeah, I think, I, th I think the biggest thing, I mean, as, as much as Pelicans fans have, have harped on him all season, it was, it was good to see, you know, Eric Bledsoe find his shot a little bit and, and find his confidence. I know his numbers since the all-star break have not been, uh, not been very good. And I know there are, there were some people out there who thought maybe, um, you know, when he got benched on, on Tuesday night uh, for, for Najee, that that was going to be some sort of signal. But, you know, Stan talked about that after the game, saying, look, it was just I needed Najee's energy. By the time it was, you know, time to put him back in, he had, I mean, he, he had sat for, for too long. So um, to see him go out there, hit his first four threes, go five of seven uh, was big. And we talked to him after the game about it. And I asked him, I was like, hey, man, like, these guys have your back no matter what, 100%. How, how much does that help you? And he's like, I'm not going to lie, it does. Knowing that, you know, they, they're there for me. And we, we've, we've talked to guys about that all, all year, whether it was Stan or B.I. or Lonzo. Whenever we ask them, you know, about, you know, Bled's struggles, do you, do you say anything to him? They're like, yo, he's our guy. Um, Josh Hart had a really good quote about uh, Eric Bledsoe once that I don't think I'm allowed to say on the podcast. So, um, <laughs> It, it's it just kind of goes to show you that these guys have his back and I think you know it, it, to Jim's point if they're going to make a push right now uh they have to start making outside shots and uh for for somebody like Eric Bledsoe who has been uh, sometimes ignored by other defenses if he can go out there and hit three four five threes a game um you know that's that's an extra nine or twelve points and maybe they weren't getting uh, that can go on and, 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 you know, factor into the final scores. You know, you make an interesting point. I feel like we would have a lot better feel for this if it was any other season besides this one in terms of being around the guys and being around the team. But you do get a very um, concrete sense that Bledsoe is very well liked by his teammates and very respected. I you know, I'm sure part of that is just that he's been in the league for a long time and he's accomplished a lot and been on some good teams. But there's no doubt that, that uh, the, the guys want to see him do well. Now, setting aside, you know, how his performance has been and the criticism, it, there's no doubt that that's the case. I mean, you can, you can tell that. And just from talking to different people that are actually around the team every day, um, they want to see him do well. So, I mean, that's him playing the way he has played in, in probably what you would say maybe two of the last three games has definitely been helpful. I know the, the game Sunday didn't end in, at New York didn't end with a, with a win, but he had a really big stretch in the second half that unfortunately, if you, if the last part of the regulation and the, the end of the game didn't happen, you would have looked back at that positively. So um, definitely a good sign. They need everybody to play well, especially in the starting lineup and the guys that are playing a lot of minutes. When we talk about Najee Marshall, you all mentioned him. Uh, I feel like for us, maybe it's pretty rare to see a two-way player like Najee have such a big impact on this team, on the rotation. You've seen him start some games. You've seen him play 35 minutes in games. 
Why is that the case for a team like the Pelicans who are, are fighting for a playoff spot, but have obviously found someone in Najee Marshall, Andrew, what, what have you seen from him that, that makes him uh, a rotation player every night, despite being a two way player? It's it's first of all, it, it's let's go back to Tuesday when he played for, for <laughs> bled for so many long, it's his energy. He's, he's coming in there and he's trying to earn himself a contract as a two way guy. There's, a couple of different options the Pels have. And, you know, they could convert him by the end of the year. They could, you know, go into negotiations after the season. Um, he's trying to make sure he earns that that full-time deal. And he's, he's doing a heck of a job uh, at doing that right now. You look at his defense. And he's, he's a guy who really could probably guard, you know, in today's NBA, one through four for, for most teams. Um depending on what fours you're throwing out there. Uh, like you, you go back and look at the, the, the Brooklyn game the other night. Um, I know Kyrie made some tough shots, but like, and I mean, Najee was right there. He had his hand. I mean, some of those are just, I, I think Stan pointed out yesterday. Some of those are just shots that Kyrie's going to hit. It doesn't matter whose hand is in his face. Right. But he was staying with Kyrie for most of that. Uh, and then had the ability to then go guard Jeff green, who was actually playing the five for them uh, at, at some points in that game. Uh, he, he brings a different sort of defensive versatility. Uh, he brings that energy. Uh, we're starting to see that he brings a little bit of playmaking uh, as, as well. And it, it kind of goes to show you that when, when things were out of hand last night and, you know, all the guy, all the, all the rotational players are all on the bench. Najee's on the bench with them and not in the game. And that just kind of goes to show you that, you know, they can how highly they consider him right now, how big of a piece of the rotation he is. But um, for two, we've seen some two way guys in the past work their way up. Lou Dort comes to mind uh, from what he was doing with Oklahoma City and, and earn contracts. And I think that's that's definitely what Najee has done right now is earn uh, a potential contract. We'll see how that plays out, uh, you know, which which way they decide to go with that. Yeah, I hope that he gains some kind of measure of satisfaction from having the to not be on the court at the end of the game like that. I, it's definitely kind of a vote of confidence in, a, in an interesting kind of way that, you know, he's he's not out there. I, I agree with I mean, Andrew listed a bunch of different things. I, I think the energy and the defense is definitely huge. Um, he's also to me an example of how chemistry is important in basketball in terms of he's been able to fill the gaps of different things that the team needs and, and be able to check a bunch of different boxes. Um, the timing of Josh Hart getting injured, I think, has helped him get on the court as well because he does he does some of the things that Josh Hart contributes. He's, he's they're not exactly the same player, um, but I think Najee might maybe is a little, especially offensively, is a little bit more of a guy that plays on the perimeter and like Andrew said, does some of the playmaking is not a big. Josh Hart's more a, of a rebounder, hard nosed you know, in the paint kind of guy. But I do think that he's picked up a little bit of the slack that Josh Hart, um, from Josh Hart not being on the floor. And uh, I am I think the thing I'm the most impressed with with Najee just is that he's been able to, from night to night, just give you different things that you need that you might not be getting um, based on the composition of the roster and how they've had to basically improvise with with the various guards that, that are out right now because of injuries. And, and you got to remember, he's done all this without a full training camp 
without without that many practice days, with having to go to the G League bubble um, and come back, and and he's still been able to uh, to find his spot. So I think that's that's another been a big a big key for me is the fact that he's done all this with all of this craziness going on this season and still found a way to kind of, you know, break through, you know, just because of injuries. Let's move forward to tomorrow night's game between the Pelicans and the Spurs. 13 games to go, Pelicans three games back of uh, the Golden State Warriors, three and a half back still of San Antonio. Obviously tomorrow is big from a sense of winning the season series, earning that tiebreaker, and obviously gaining a game on San Antonio. Am I overstating the importance of this game as far as, I don't want to say make or break for the Pelicans, but can this be the make or break game for them just based on where they are trying to get these two teams or trying to battle these two teams to get in? Andrew, I'll start with you. Is uh, I'll say this. It, it definitely feels like break for sure. If, if you lose this game, it definitely feels like it, it's going to be daunting to get back in. I think the only thing that maybe saves you is the fact, <clears throat> excuse me, is the fact that, you do still play Golden State three times. Um, although if they're also fighting to get in, I mean, who knows what Steph is going to try to do in those games. But uh, if you lose this and you fall four and a half back at San Antonio with 12 to play, I know it's been done before in Pell's history in, in, in roughly that same amount of games back, same amount of uh, you know games played to go. But it, it, it feels really daunting. Um, and to the make point, I – at least you're, you're, you're then you're within two and a half of the Spurs. Maybe you're two and a half or two, depending on what happens in Golden State in the next couple of days. And it feels it feels better. It feels more doable. Uh, but there's still obviously an uphill uh, climb. I still think, though, that if if you if this one is a loss, it, it, it feels very feels very breaky to me as it it, it, it might be you know, a situation where you got to go nine and three, 10 and two, and then hope for a lot of things to go your way uh, down the stretch. Yeah. I think it's break with, if it's a loss, it's break as far as the Spurs go. I mean, there's, you know, you mentioned how there was a scenario, I think you were alluding to how the Pelicans were, were able to overcome a four game deficit against OKC in 2015 with only 11 games left. But the thing about this one is, if the Pelicans lose this game to the Spurs, they're four and a half behind the Spurs. And the Spurs also have the tiebreaker. Yep. And they'd be five losses. They'd, they'd be five ahead in the loss column. So you're really six ahead in the loss column. So, I mean, I know there wasn't supposed to be math today, but, <laughs> but in this podcast, but I mean, the, that's a long way of saying like it's almost impossible to overcome the Spurs if the Pelicans lose this game. However, as Andrew alluded to and mentioned, um, it wouldn't be over with Golden State. It, it would be very daunting to just lose this game. Obviously, it depends on what the Warriors do in their other games. But um, I don't want to reiterate what Andrew said because he, he summed it up very well. But it, basically, it's it's pretty much over with the Spurs if you lose this game. You still have a chance with the Warriors. But, you're, I mean, there's only five games left, including Saturday, between the, the that miniseries against Golden State here at the beginning of May. So, I mean, you lose this if you lose this game against the Spurs, too, you're starting to run out of time. And do you really want to get to the to the point where you have you know for sure you have to win all three games against Golden State? I mean, it might come down to that where it's like um, there's what I think eight games left in the season when they by the time they play the Warriors for the first time. Yeah. Do you want to go into that eight game stretch 
saying like either we have to go eight and zero or seven and one, and we have to win all three games against Golden State. Because like I said, you lose Saturday, the Spurs are pretty much out of the equation, and then the Warriors are still in it in the mix. But it's like trying to beat them all three games doesn't seem like a real fun way to try to get into the playoffs or play in. And af- after that Spurs game, you play, you have a home game against the Clippers, and then you're on the road against Denver. And then you go to Oklahoma City, Minnesota. So you could at least maybe have some momentum going into that first set of games against Golden State. It's a back-to-back here in New Orleans, uh, May 3rd, May 4th. Um, but like, yeah, like, like, like Jim said, you don't necessarily want to uh, have to try to beat Golden State three times. And just like that, Jim just leaves. He thinks he's done with the podcast, so he's going to ditch us here for, for greener pastures. Andrew, I'll keep speaking with you here. Um, with that being said, you know, the goals of this team, I think, this year was to be in the hunt, to be scoreboard watching, to play in these types of games. And I know there's been some frustrating losses, blown leads, 10 or 15-point leads gone by the wayside. You look at the, the Wizards and Knicks games where you had leads in the final minutes, you go away. So thinking this record could be a lot better, maybe they are in ninth or 10th with some of those wins. But when you look at tomorrow, I feel like this is a very important game just for the core of Zion, the core of Brandon Ingram, and those guys to play in a game like this. I know they had the situation in the bubble, but Zion didn't play in a lot of those games. That uh, This could be a huge game for them as far as a, a huge growing opportunity uh, for those guys. Is that safe to say? No, I agree. Uh, every, every game that's left is a big opportunity for Point Zion to grow. Right. Every every game that's left is a another opportunity to see how Brandon Ingram plays off of Point Zion. It's another opportunity to see, you know, what you'd like to see out of Lonzo Ball. It's another opportunity to see Najee Marshall do Najee Marshall things. I mean, so even even if you become even if you get out of the playoff race, you're at least still there are things to look at and, and still to do. And I think, you know, chief among them is the growth and uh, the continued growth of Zion as, as, as point Zion. Um, it, you know, we've seen him in, in, you know, have to do it for 35 times a game, bring the ball up. We've, we've seen him now with, with Lonzo back kind of split those duties again. Uh, but still, I think the biggest thing to me is, you know, those guys continuing to grow and continuing to find it. Even if at this point, I mean, you've lost a league high 14 games, when you've had a 10 point lead this year, if you're the Pelicans, um, even if you get into some of those situations, as, as we have seen in the last month or so, the, the Knicks and Wizards games aside where they have finished games, as long as you can start maybe to put some of those together and build on that play in or no play in. Um, I think you can look at the growth uh, here on out. Before I let you go, let's talk about the Spurs team that obviously ha- has been in a little bit of a rut. They've, they've had some good wins, but also some some bad losses. Obviously, the loss of Marcus Aldridge, him retiring, but also going to Brooklyn before that. Um, but they still have some, some key young guys that are, are playing really well. What do you see from the Spurs as far as them still, you know, being one of those teams that could be tough to beat come to play in or even a game like tomorrow night against the Pelicans? So the, the, the funny thing about the Spurs uh, this year has been they've, they've kind of had what felt like multiple iterations of their team. Uh, it was, you know, the LaMarcus Aldridge, the DeMar DeRozan show early on. Uh, now they've, they've kind of gone somewhat embraced this youth movement and, and have changed things around. Uh, the biggest thing so far has been kind of the, the playmaking of DeMar DeRozan has changed things up as well. 
Uh, he's averaging a career high in assists, I think over over seven a game right now. His scoring's down. Uh, Jakob Pertl has kind of come in and, and been really the reason that they could have moved on from LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, you know, Keldon Johnson has been great. I mean, they they have, I think, a bunch of guys right now in, in, in double-digit double points. Um, it's really been – I remember there was a stretch where I think they had – it might have been six straight games where they had a different leading scorer uh, at, at one point, five or six straight games. And, in, uh, you know – and like you said, they, they've had some really good – like they went in the, in the Phoenix the other day while sitting Pirtle, DeRozan, and Patty Mills and beat the Suns by 30. I mean, so it's it, – I mean, look, I mean, it's still a, a great Popovich coach team. Uh, Sheldon Johnson, uh, who I think part of Pell's Twitter really got to know uh, this this summer for, for a little bit or this, this past winter um, – they, they have a lot of different pieces who can hurt you a lot of different ways. And it's, it's still a blend of 23 and 24 and under guys. And then DeMar DeRose and Patty Mills, Rudy Gay uh, and, and those guys. So it, it, it's, it's a nice blend. And I think that blend is working for them. Um, and they've, they've, like I said, now there's their schedule is, is pretty brutal. I think in the, in, down the stretch. I mean, when you, when you look at, who they still have to play uh, again. And they're, they're playing some, some tight compacted games. I don't think they have, I'm pretty sure they don't have more than a day off between games because of uh, they missed so much because of COVID protocols early, but it's, it's a lot of road games. I mean, they only have four, uh, four of their final 14 are on the road. Uh, they have, and those games are back to back against Phoenix to end the year. So really, four, two of their next twelve are on the road, uh, starting with the Pels, and that's a, a home game. <laughs> and the two home games in that stretch are uh, against Philly and then against the Bucks. So everything else is on the road. That's two games against Utah, and they're on the road. They got to play Portland. They got to play Brooklyn. They got to play the Knicks. They got to play Boston. They got to play Miami. So they they have a chance to fall. It, you just don't want to be four and a half back. If you're the Pels in that scenario, if you're two and a half back looking at their schedule, it's kind of almost the spot we were in uh, when we were looking at things last March, where the Pels were three back, three and a half with 15 games to go. But Memphis had the toughest schedule in the league. You had the 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 the, the easiest schedule. So uh, it, it, it's almost to that, except your schedule is not, you know, as easy right now if you're a Pels uh, fan. So there's a there's a lot there, I think, to to try and uh, try and digest. Before I let you go over under, I'm gonna set it at five. How many times you go to ESPN stats and info tomorrow for some nuggets? I mean you were you were crushing them yesterday. Oh, over. oh way over. Way, way over. over. Way okay. over. I I the, the the site stays open like the entire time. <laughs> like I'm in a game. Whether whether it's Spurs related stuff, Pels related stuff, the site like it just stayed like it, it's it just stays open. I ask my questions. It's 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 over now. How many tweets do I fire off with ESPN stats and info? You might you might you might have hit it on a button, but uh, how many times I go to them? Oh, it's going to be way more than that. Okay, I, I think I meant the tweets because yeah, some of the stuff we obviously don't see, and you keep yourself and use for your articles, which is great. Um, but definitely, I know I'm a I'm a nerd when it comes to the stats, so I always say keep them coming, especially if they're good ones like they were last night. <laughs> the last night ones were pretty good. Yeah, 
pretty easy to do too. So um, it's Andrew Lopez who covers the NBA and the Pelicans for ESPN, ESPN.com always does great work. And we are glad to have him back here on the podcast. Andrew, I'm sorry that Jim had the bail. It's really rude of him. And we'll have to figure out a reason why he just got out of the podcast 10 minutes in, but uh, you know, that's why you're a team player. And I appreciate you being a team player today. You know what? After last week, I can't, I can't fault anybody for just skipping out. Uh, a, <laughs> maybe I'm the problem. I think that's the thing. Maybe I'm maybe I'm the problem. I'm a meeting. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Pelicans and Spurs tomorrow night, 7 p.m. You can watch on Valley Sports New Orleans or listen on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM. For Andrew Lopez, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Friday edition of the Pelican Podcast presented by C.